Yasas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Darities Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. One of the best things about working on the podcast is coming across aspects of Greek culture I never thought much about because they're part of everyday life, and then looking at them in new ways, or even better, learning something I knew nothing about to begin with, like today's topic, kataiosis, a name most often used today as an insult, basically calling someone a clown. Until friend and listener Ann Papalos Lemon suggested I investigate a Facebook post by Victory Sweet Shop about kataiosis, I had no idea a freakish-looking two-dimensional puppet made such an enormous impact on Greek culture for over 200 years. When we were in Athens this past April, we saw plastic or cardboard replicas of the puppets in tourist shops and quickly walked in the other direction. The puppet is a cutout, a side view of a big-headed, big-eyed, big-nosed, grinning, humpback dude in rags with one extremely stretched-out arm. Douglas, John, and I were like, what the heck? What is that thing? But now I know what I know. There was a reason it appeared in so many shops, and now I'm sorry I didn't pick one up when I had the chance. The original freakish puppet made its appearance in Asia Minor, in Turkey, in the 15th century as Kadayoz, meaning black eye or dark eye, a flat shadow puppet only seen in profile through a white screen. Linda S. and Costas Misiades, in their detailed history, Kadayoz's culture and comedy in Greek puppet theater, explained that at that time, the human form was not allowed to be depicted in Turkey. Islam, quote, only permitted the artistic representation of human figures when they appeared as shades, like images through a screen between the puppets and the audience. Holes were punched into the puppets, allowing souls to escape. I was tempted to dive into that piece of information, but it didn't make its way into the Greek version, so I had to hit the bricks. Lanterns were hung behind the screen, but in front of the puppet masters, so that only the shadows of the puppets showed. Puppets were made out of camel skin or leather and brightly painted, so when they were held up against the screen, with two long sticks that controlled their movements, the bright colors and their features could show through the screen. We have links to modern Karyozi's performances so our listeners can get a visual on this. Think of the shadow puppets in the Karate Kid reboot with Jaden Smith, and you have the basic idea. There are ancient examples of shadow puppet theater in Asia, where it was a popular entertainment long before Karyoz showed up in Turkey. It may have originated in Java or Indonesia, but other scholars believe shadow puppet origins date back to 4th century India, and then it spread throughout Southeast Asia. The entertainment appeared in Egypt in the 10th century, 500 years before Turkey. One of the theories of how shadow puppet theater spread to the Middle East and Anatolia is through Indian and Chinese travelers and traders. But Karayoz was a particular character with a particular physical appearance and behaviors. He was a hustler trying to get rich with elaborate plans. He was low-class, violent, sneaky, and lewd. With a large black eye, remember the puppet is only seen in profile, one overly long arm, and often an oversized phallus. 
which is the reason women and children in 15th century Turkey enjoyed the place from behind curtains, if at all. Carillos ignored society's standards of behavior, and the original performances were often pretty coarse, lewd and rude and sometimes political, until the Ottomans started cracking down on them. In later years, up to today, Carillos mostly appeared as entertainment during Ramadan, when people break the fast at sundown and go out to eat and dance and watch street performers. According to the Athens news agency, Viafotis.com, Greece is among the very few European countries that adopted shadow theater. The puppet is believed to have made its way onto mainland Greece before 1799 with the Greekified name Kariosis and modifications that morphed the character into a very Greek entity. We know the performance began in Greece at least this early because a French traveler, historian, and diplomat named François de Pouqueville saw Kariosis performance in Tripolitsa in the central Peloponnesos that year and wrote about it in his travel book, Travels in the Morea to Constantinople, Albania, and several other parts of the Ottoman Empire in the years 1798, 1799, 1800, and 1801. Yeah, that's the title. The podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, is always joking about the extremely long titles given to written works in the 17th and 18th century. So shout out to Tracy and Holly. In the early 19th century, Karyosis had quickly spread across all of Greece, the mainland, islands, cities and villages, even into Greek enclaves in other countries. In 1809, English traveler and nobleman John Hobhouse, traveling with soon-to-be hero of Greece, Lord Byron, wrote about a performance he saw in northern Greece in his book, A Journey Through Albania and Other Provinces of Turkey in Europe and Asia to Constantinople during the years 1809 and 1810. How did they fit these titles on book covers? I don't know. So, Katayosis was already a well-established part of Greek culture by the time Hobhouse saw a performance. By the 1850s, Katayosis was the most popular entertainment of the common Greek people in every part of the country. Some players became famous, and their names would attract even the occasional upper-class Greek to mingle with the common people for a show. The names of 200 Katayosis players survive over their nearly 250-year history in Greece. I kept seeing the phrase common people of Greece in nearly every article, book, or museum I used for research. The average Greek throughout the Ottoman occupation and the years after independence, right through the middle of the 20th century, were victims of the chaos thrust on them, most often by outside powers. In offering to help the Greeks in their fight for freedom from the Ottomans, European monarchies demanded control, hence Bavarian Otto, first monarch of the independent state of Greece. The Axis powers wanted to control key Greek ports for their war on the world. Europe and America worried about a democratic Greece because it might not bow to their every need, so they supported vicious dictators. Everyone took advantage of the debilitated state of the Greek nation after the toll many destructive wars took on her. There was a small, wealthy class, but the average Greek was often denied education, well-paying work, and the basic services we take for granted. Dang. That's what America's starting to sound like. Um, Matt Barrett in AthensGuide.com quotes an undamed scholar saying that Kariosis is the story of an outsider making desperate attempts 
to become assimilated into a world structured on concepts he neither relates to nor understands. Barrett goes on to say Katayosis may represent the Greek people struggling to conform to laws, customs, values, fashions, and politics of Western Europe that had been imposed on them by the countries that helped liberate them from the Turks. Greece wanted to gain ground as a member of Europe to become a modernized, educated country that would be strong and prosperous. Imitating or being forced to imitate Western Europe was supposedly the path. When the shadow puppet first appeared in Greece, the country was still under the control of the Ottoman Empire. Katayosis wore raggedy clothes to represent his poverty and slave-like status. He became humpbacked with the weight of the world, or as Katayosis Museum says, because he is carrying all Greek people's problems. But according to the Mirciades, who researched the puppet theater through its history in Greece and interviewed many masters of the craft well into the 1980s, Katagosis's humpback also represented good fortune because it repelled the evil eye. We were always taught as Greeks that the evil eye came on those who were envied or especially blessed or beautiful. So no risk for Katagosis. He created his own bad luck. It's believed the puppet was Hellenized in the 19th century by Katagosis master Dimitrios Sardunas in Patras, famous as a carnival town. Sardunis also toned down the character into a more family-friendly entertainment. But the thegreekvibe.com says Yanis Brachadis is known as the father of the Greek Kariosis art form since the 1800s. There was no time to chase down every snippet of Kariosis lore, but there were so many players spread out all over Greece, it wouldn't be difficult to see multiple puppet players moving in the same direction to make the original Turkish puppet into a fully Greek character. The Hellenic Foundation for Culture says, to find its place, Katayosis had to break away from its Turkish roots and accept a more national role as a Greek performance. The puppet lost the external exaggerated phallus. Thank you. But not all of the crude humor. There were lots of double entendres, naughty songs. He kept the overly long arm, which was supposed to represent his tendency toward thievery and his ever-scheming mind. It was also useful for beating up the other characters. Katayosis became hero and anti-hero as he schemed to trick and abuse the rich and powerful, but then turned around to abuse and neglect his own family, keeping them in difficult situations with his foolishness. The Turkish Katayos plays were comedic with religious overtones. The Greek stories were also usually funny, but as GreekReporter.com puts it, Katayosis is a slightly tragic figure living in poverty during the Ottoman Empire. The Greek plays were based on a chosen framework of a story, then improvised, bringing in elements of social and political issues the Greek people faced, as well as historical events from the Ottoman occupation and later the War of Independence. The Mirciades, who were obviously sociologists from their language, wrote, the players and performances are part of a larger environmental context of uncontrolled historical, geographic, economic and social forces, including insecure borders, wars, dictatorships, and invasions. So historic and heroic elements were added to the plays, as well as Greek culture, music, traditional folklore, and a favorite of Greeks, social satire. Katayosis ridicules and satirizes the powers of Greece, whether Ottomans, foreign kings, military dictatorships, or Nazi occupiers. He represents the common people suffering under successive governments, 
powerless and struggling, but surviving. The Greek shadow puppet performances were part social protest, part educational for what was originally a largely illiterate audience, and part call to action, as Cariozis found subversive ways to undermine the overlords. Cariozis unified the Greek people through performances that often catered to local dialects and customs, but still shared important information that connected them, as well as enshrining embattled Greek culture throughout all of the areas populated by the Greeks. This is how a very Turkish entertainment was borrowed and adapted into a very Greek entertainment, with a similar name and appearance continuing to connect two related but very different puppet theaters. The Karyosis Pektis, or Karyosis Player, was puppeteer, writer of the text or play, stage designer, director, voice of all the characters, and sometimes the singer. Early puppet players were illiterate. The most popular stories they created were handed down in the Homeric tradition. By being repeatedly performed and repeatedly told, the stories were passed down to their apprentices, and then around to other puppet players and their apprentices who added their own personalities and twists to the performances based on current events or changes in location. The Turkish Kadiyoz plays had originally been performed in palaces, cafes, and private homes. In the beginning, the Greek Kadiyozis performances were on the road, visiting towns with trade routes during warmer weather and traveling to rural villages during the colder months. The small stages were carried around by cart and set up in town squares or other public places, usually with permission of local authorities. The white screen was often a white bedsheet held up with clothespins. Candles and lanterns were used to cast the shadows of the colorful homemade puppets. Performances always started after sunset in these outer places they set up, the better for the lamps and candles to illuminate the puppets. And since almost the beginning, enterprising individuals took advantage of the opportunity given by a stationary mass of people. Vendors sold cheese puffs and pumpkin seeds to the crowd. Many brought their own food, but especially in the villages, the Cariozis shows were an occasional treat that warranted a festival atmosphere. Like the circus coming to town or going to the movies, people looked forward to the treats that went with the performance and occasionally threw them at the players. Common Greek speech was used during the plays rather than the more educated High Greek of public officials or the wealthy classes, although High Greek was voiced by the puppets representing pashas and aristocrats. And the puppet players changed dialects depending on where Kariosis was being performed. The people in the audience became co-creators of every performance. The players usually followed a specific outline that included introducing the main characters and followed a loose story, like Cariozis the Baker, or Alexander the Great and the Cursed Snake. But everything else was improvised based on audience reaction and participation. If people weren't laughing at a particular routine, the player would shift gears. The Cariozis audiences typically took sides in disputes between the characters. They argued with the puppets. Sounds like my family watching a movie. The puppet Cariozis in the action would respond to comments shouted out by the audience. They reacted to political jokes, domestic humor, and heaven help the puppet player if they didn't like the ending. This inspired players to be fast on their feet. These men could shift a scene in the moment to regain the approval of the audience, and not just for pay. Audiences armed themselves with cans, tomatoes, pumpkins, shoes, the stools they carried from home to sit on. 
if the audience didn't like the performance, they threw things at the stage and sometimes beat up the karaoke's player. So dude had to be on his toes. One of the most important things the player had to keep in mind was relatable material. The player took his stories from the lives of the people he performed for. Cariozzi stood in for them or their neighbors. The little guy always trying to get ahead by messing with the authorities or the elites that kept everybody else down. Cariozzi's constantly played pranks on pashas, sultans, government bureaucrats, attacking injustices and social inequality. While additional puppet characters satirized the snobbery, cruelty, or superior heirs of the betters in Greek society. Cariozis found silly solutions to the everyday problems and sufferings of the Greek people. He never won, but he never stopped trying. WordPress.com in its piece, What is the Cariozis Theater, says his lot is not to transform the status quo, but release built up tension. Cariozis wasn't going to change his life any more than anyone in the audience could change theirs. But his subversive behavior could make them laugh and give them hope that one day the powers that be would get their comeuppance. Singers and musicians accompanied the puppet player. Musical instruments included violin, hand drum, bazooki flutes, and a centuri, which is kind of a Greek zither. Along with a puppet apprentice or two, they became a traveling troupe of performers. The apprentices were usually kids, it was not a respected profession, traveling performers, but poverty was so pervasive in Greece that the many puppet masters that proliferated over the years had plenty of apprentices, sometimes several at a time. Apprentices were responsible for setting up and breaking down the traveling theater, sweeping the ground the audience would sit on, handling some of the puppets during the performance if the master had his hands full, like a scene that called for multiple characters. They were taught how to construct puppets and scenery, how to move the puppets. They had to learn the voices of the characters when it was time to take their next steps toward becoming puppet players themselves. Every voice was specific to each character, so the audience could immediately tell if it was Cariozzi speaking or his wife or a pasha. The Cariozzi's player learned to become a talented mimic and alter his speech patterns to reflect the social status of his characters. Cariozis and his sons spoke a slangy, lower-class urban mode of speech. The Pashas and Turkish authorities used a more formal, polite form of speech, with antiquated words sprinkled with Turkish phrases that were easily recognizable during the Ottoman era. The puppet player would act out the story for the apprentice, and from observing and helping in repeated performances, the younger man would learn the order of introducing the characters, their individual songs and catchphrases, and their speech patterns. A five-year apprenticeship was not unusual well into the 20th century, but I read that 12- and 18-year-old apprenticeships were not unheard of. Most apprentices stayed with one player, but a few went from one to the next, learning something different from each one. Eventually, apprentices were allowed to perform some of the plays and later strike out on their own. The payment the troupe received varied depending on the economic situation. Apprentices and musicians were usually on a fixed salary, but that money was acquired by passing the hat, so the performance had to please. Sometimes bartering was involved, so the troupe would at least be fed. There was no such thing as ticket sales until many, many years later, when permanent theaters established in the cities or larger towns. Most Cariozzi's players 
performed under assumed names, even into the 1950s and 60s, because families considered it to be a dishonor to have a son who was a puppet player. They didn't want their name associated with the entertainers, which is really a shame because apprentices didn't go into the business just because they were desperate for work. It had to be almost a calling for them to succeed. It became their vocation in life to be a puppet player. And Cariozzi's players were central to the life of the Greeks. But no, performing? Dishonorable. Change your name. Often the set for the plays showed the hovel that Cariozzi's wife and children squeezed into on one side of the stage, opposite the grand towering palace of the Pasha on the other side. The contrast in the conditions of the poor Greeks and the rich Turkish rulers was always made plain. There were specific characters in a Karayozi's performance, no matter who the puppet player was. Many were the Greek equivalent of the original Turkish characters. Karayozis was the star and the victim of his own elaborate plots. His best friend, Hatsiabatis, was the middle-class, eager-to-please go-between for the common people and the authorities and so basically the link allowing Cariozis to interact with his betters. Hatsiviatis spoke a more polite form of Greek and more Ottoman-style clothes. He was somehow always pulled into Cariozis' schemes and always suffered for it. But that didn't bother the audience because he represented the Greeks who were compliant with the Ottoman establishment. The Pasha character was just a voice, issuing orders from offstage. The big shot, representing Turkish authority, the rules and degradation the Greeks were forced to live under. The Pasha's enforcer was a cruel character, mistreating the Greeks, and because of this, often a target of Kariosis. His name was Velagekas. He was a Turkish Albanian who didn't speak Greek, making it easier for Kariosis to taunt him. To put him into context, because this sounds... PC. Throughout hundreds of years, Albanians became an important support for the Ottoman Empire, both in the military and in government administration. So they were not a popular bunch to past generations of Greeks. Sir Dionysius was a fallen aristocrat, a dandy trying to imitate Westerners always seen with a top hat. His pretentiousness and his desire to appear more Western, more European, made him him an object of ridicule and resentment to the audience. Morphonios was the hideous, egotistical fool who believed himself to be handsome and was always led by his ego. He's a pseudo-intellectual with an oversized head. Imagine how popular he was with the audience. These characters contrasted sharply with Barba Yorgos. Theo is the Greek word for uncle, but at one time Barba was a common word for showing respect to an elder or an uncle and it's still used. Believed to have come from earlier invaders of Greece, the Venetians, barba in Italian means beard. In Greece, it came to mean old man. But in Cariosi's world, barba Yorgos was Uncle George, who I love best, because he's a simple mountain man, herding goats, dressed in the traditional mountain attire of Fustanella, the Greek kilt the Evzones became famous for. And of course, he's the voice of what is right and good. He often comes to the rescue when there's trouble, but just as often comes to mete out justice on that troublemaker, Karayosis. When Karayosis goes near his uncle's home on the mountain, Barbara Yorgo sets his dogs on him. He blames his nephew for all of the family's problems, and if there's a crime committed anywhere in the vicinity, he assumes Karayosis is responsible and hunts him down. 
Women in the Cariozzi's plays get short shrift, of course. The men are in charge of this world, and the women exist to give them a hard time, be put in their place, or too frequently cuckold them. Aria is Cariozzi's nagging, often unfaithful wife. She's in charge of the household realm and rarely allowed outside of it, unless she's working for rich Turkish families in their kitchens. Aglia has airs and pushes ahead of her neighbors in lines at the grocery store and bullies anyone who complains. She's basically an all-time karenaki. She nags Cariozis to make more money and elevate their status. Cariozis occasionally scores a job working in the Pasha's palace. The Pasha's daughter involves him in her own schemes, either to avoid her father's choice of suitors or to sneak her lovers into her rooms at the palace. She's supposed to be all purity, kept away from any man who might sully her which would mean losing her value as a commodity to be married off to a man with the wealth or power that would enhance the Pasha's stature. She's the representation of her family's honor, as Cariozzi's wife is supposed to represent the faithful, self-sacrificing wife. They both fall short, showing that women can't be trusted, justifying why they are basically imprisoned in their homes and not allowed any status whatsoever in the outside world. Oh, the misogyny, shared with generations of impressionable children. I prefer when the female characters don't even show up. Instead, I focused on Cariozzi's many schemes for making money, which are still pretty hilarious. Besides decimating his daughter's dowries, he cheats religious pilgrims. I found no examples. There were hundreds of texts to read through, but I imagine him selling rat bones as saints relics or bits of wood as samples of the cross. One of my favorite Cariozzi scams, he'd pretend to die so that friends and neighbors would give gifts to his family, which had lost its breadwinner. Oh, pity the family. Give them money. As a bonus, he was able to duck out on his debts because the bill collectors believed they wouldn't get any money from a widow with so many children. Cariozis tried to pull scams on the Turkish authorities and rob the Pasha's house when he worked there, but he also had no problem tricking his poverty-stricken neighbors into giving him money. And his children take after him. His eldest son, Kolitiris is a chip off the old block. When Cariozis commits a crime, Kolitiris is happy to turn him in for the reward. Demir Siades claimed the breakdown of Cariozis' family, her wife cheats on husband, husband cheats on wife, and destroys his daughter's chances at marriage and where son turns on father, symbolizes the breakdown of society under oppression. I don't know that the puppet players were aiming for that. Maybe they were just presenting the fears or hardships poor people might suffer from and making fun because Everyone could relate to a neighbor or relative who'd been there. I read through some of the texts that were eventually written down, and there's a lot of bo 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 coming out of Cariozis, which cracks me up. As a kid, I could often read the room, depending on the way an aunt or uncle and on bo bo bo. It was often a sign of Cariozis' concern, surprise, stress, irritation, or sympathy, and the audience knew exactly how the player meant it. The introduction to the plays are usually Cariozis and his sons dancing out, saying, Opa, 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 eh. Opa is another one of those Greek phrases that means so many things, but most often expresses pleasure or excitement, and occasionally when one falls on their face, is sympathy. But I just had fun seeing those little phrases that we still use in everyday Greek life. In time, two types of Cariozis plays or texts developed. The comedies inspired by everyday life and current events or based on fairy tales and folklore, and the heroic stories, which Photius.com describes as 
themes inspired by years of oppressive Ottoman rule followed by Greek independence. In these stories, Cariosis is instrumental in helping an important hero under Ottoman rule and providing comic relief. The Mirciavis claim the people of northern Greece preferred the heroic plays. Well, it was the land of the clefts, forerunners of the Evzones, after all. Southern Greeks preferred a variety, and apparently Macedonia didn't like the players at all. No explanation for this. And I mean Macedonia, the region of Greece, not the more recently named Slavic country. Just an interesting note. After the Greek War of Independence, storylines began to change to incorporate the new realities of the Greek state. For a brief time, the Orthodox Church and the new king censored or banned Cariosi's performances when they could, criticizing the vulgarity and no doubt resenting the digs taken at the church and the monarchy. Way to encourage more digs. Non-Greeks trying to dominate the government and the ambitious Greeks trying to appease them were also favorite and resentful targets. But the players persevered. Touring troops sent one of their members into a town or village announcing the shows, usually getting permission from the authorities to set up. The players weren't always welcomed by local authorities in the villages, depending on their take on politics or how much the town leaders wanted to please the king. Sometimes religious villagers, encouraged by local priests, put Cariosi's performances were sinful. I guess all of the philandering and thieving and multi-female characters? The police were often suspicious of the troops. They assumed apprentices were runaways and that crooks and thieves were following the troop to move through the audience and take what they could. Westerners, meaning Europeans and Americans, thought the plays were backward and uncivilized, which I find hilarious. Those dudes needed to wander off around the villages in their own countries and come back and talk about what backward and uncivilized is, even in the 21st century. Footloose keeps popping into my head, but instead of banning dance, which for Greeks is like banning oxygen, some of these villages wanted to ban puppets. Kevin Bacon as a shadow puppet. I spent an hour online trying to find a Greek language footloose. I'm so easily distracted. Katiosis was still the most popular entertainment in Greece, and between 1915 and 1950, the audiences only grew. Fotis.com says that due to the continuous wars and civil unrest throughout this time period, Cariosi's plays were, quote, a continuous inspiration for the poor with an uncompromising protagonist who tried in vain to change his fate and protest against social injustice. The most popular and successful Cariosi's players in the later 19th and early 20th century would play the Peloponnesos, especially Athens and Piraeus. The outlying provinces became the domain of the up-and-coming players still honing their craft. By the 1920s and 30s, the population of the cities and towns grew as rural areas continued to struggle financially. Audiences expanded from a few hundred of performance at the turn of the 20th century to nearly a thousand during the 1920s. Some of these more successful puppet players began to set up permanent locations. These were usually permanent stages an open-air seating area with folding chairs in the cities or towns. By the 1930s, those cities and towns saw four-month and then six-month category seasons from Easter to October. When city life settled down for the winter, the players took the show on the road to the provinces. With Greeks from Turkish territory being expelled in the 19-teens and 20s, Rembetika, the erotic and bitter Greek blues created in the slums inhabited by these refugees, 
became the music of the Cariosi's performances. The interplay of urban and rural themes became topical. In 1924, the Cariosi's players created a 100-member union. But by the 1930s, with a worldwide depression worsening the poverty of Greece, the players could no longer afford to pay musicians. Instead, they used phonograph records and later tape recordings of music. The Cariosi's stories were heavily censored under German rule during World War II and the military dictatorships that followed, including the colonel's coup from 1967 to 1974. The players still found ways to make their satirical points. But, like all other folk activities of the past, the popularity of the Cariosi's plays waned with modern times. After the fall of the colonels in 1974, the democratically elected Greek government began improving education, economic opportunity, and access to museums and historic sites. Television and radio dominated. There were still Cariosi's players, but things were changing rapidly. Modern Cariosi's puppets were no longer made of animal skins, but of cardboard or plastic. Most of the masters still had limited education in the 1960s and 70s, but that was more than their predecessors. Apprentices had once been uneducated children in their preteens to late teens. Improved education meant would-be apprentices stayed in school longer and began their apprenticeships in their late teens or even 20s. Fewer parents allowed their children to become puppet apprentices. Trade apprenticeships were now easier to come by. Some young men who were determined to become puppet players learned to trade first to fall back on, and then tried their hand with puppet apprenticeship. The plays or texts began to be written down more often, which must have changed the way that they were performed. One of the most famous players of the 1970s and 80s, Yorgos Haredimos, had followed in the footsteps of his father, whose theater in Piraeus played to audiences of 3,000 in the previous generation. Yorgos had 65 different written texts to work from, with a heavy emphasis on improvisation, and 400 oral texts that had been passed down to him. Can you imagine? How do you remember all that? He built a theater just below the Acropolis, catering to the returning diaspora, visiting their families during summers, and the tourists. As years went on, more and more of the apprentices working under Jaredimos and the other masters were high school and college educated. Jaredimos, in an interview with Mercedes, said he believed that education came between the player and the inherited materials of his art. He felt they became more critical and selective of the texts they performed. If they were focused on a written performance, it might affect their ability to react to the audience's attitude during the play and their ability to change their approach or find a way to inform an audience that wasn't understanding the material. The high cost of land in Greece compared to earlier times has made owning or renting a theater more difficult these days. Audiences continue to shrink. The Cariosi's players today still travel to perform, but now they most often play at schools, movie theaters, parks, summer camps, festivals. Most of them hold other jobs. They aren't able to support themselves by performing full-time. In the 1980s, there were weekly 15-minute Cariosi's performances aimed at children on two different TV stations in Greece, but they didn't last long. Half the joy of a Cariosi's performance is the interaction between players and viewers. Cariosi's comic books appeared sometime. I saw a bunch of them from the 1980s, so it may have been earlier when they started. And they still do pop up. 
The last two generations of kids obviously don't have the same connection their grandparents did. But it looks like the comic books of uh, Dussel. Cariosis the Movie was an entry in the 16th annual Los Angeles Greek Film Festival in May 2023. It's the third animated film about this freaky little dude. He wasn't too freaky looking in the trailer, though. He looked a little bit like the Mario Brothers. In the last few decades, there's been a concerted effort to preserve the Cariosis culture. There are dozens of schools in Greece where puppetry and karyosi skills are passed on. According to the Greekvibe.com's Maria Paradentes, there are Cariosis university-level classes in shadow puppet theater for performing arts degrees. So the craft and the performance of Cariosis lives on differently, but it lives on. Cariosis is part of our national culture of Greece, and museums such as the Cariosis Museum the Spathario Museum of Shadow Theater and the Haredimos Shadow Puppet Museum are there to educate those of us who didn't grow up with the puppet or hear about him from our parents. And we should know about Cariosis. He was more than an entertainment, more than a release from a difficult life. He was the voice of Greek people for generations when they were prevented from speaking up by powers who thought they could control them. He was a regular guy slogging through the rules and biases opposed on him and fighting back in ways that the average person trying to feed and support their family couldn't. Cariosis kept Greeks in all parts of the country informed on current events and reminded them of their roots and shared cultures. He pulled Greece together. Paravanti says what Cariosis lacks in heroic qualities, he more than makes up for with his wit, inquisitiveness, lack of expectation, joyfulness, and kindness. I question the kindness part. But Cariosis did stand up for the Greeks and torment their oppressors tirelessly. Oppa, 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 eh. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Anne Papalos Lemon for bringing the freaky, fantastic Cariosis to my attention. I have been educated. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Davies Wood with a little bit of research help by Eduardo Gill. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us to get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek cultures. Find us on Facebook or on Instagram at greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yes, us. Thank you.